welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend Mike. Hey! So today, we're hopping back into the Wheel of Time with Season 2, Episode 5, titled... Demane. Demane. Alright, so before we dive into this episode, i give out the typical reminders. If you want to get at us on our socials, on Instagram, we are at Fantasy Rewind Pod. On X, we are Fantasy Rewind. And the email is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. We're not very active, but we love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so without any further delay, Mike, let's hop into this rewind. Fantasy Rewind. All right, Dylan, season five. Season two. Or season two, episode five. Oh, man, I wish something oh, like God, this episode was a season. This episode was so good. I did. Uh, <laughs> sorry, what did you think of this episode, Dylan? <laughs> so I can't agree with you more. I thought that for me, this episode marked a much needed turning point in my view of the show for Wheel of Time versus how I had previously been enjoying the show. For me, mm-hmm. I thought that this episode brought in so much lore, brought the story so much closer to where it was supposed to be in the yeah. books. It was like a bomb to my Wheel of Time bruises and needs that I had been suffering from this last lackluster show until now. And now I am happy to say I'm genuinely enjoying the show pretty fully. Oh, yeah. I would have to agree completely. I mean, I had, I had you talked before in a previous episode how I just was like, you know, I just this is based on the Wheel of Time, and it still is, mm-hmm. but this episode really did align itself, and I think it let us know how the showrunners are trying to marry what the big events in the book and adapting it to TV. And trying to get this entire series condensed into like seven seasons or whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. So well, let's jump right in. I, I do want to talk about the introductory bit in this episode. Because mm-hmm. um, before the credits or before the intro, we get Sue Roth returning to her Sean Chan. And I loved this. They were all seated in this court. We had... Um, the em- or not the emperor oh my gosh empress made Turok. she live long and prosper but we had to rock the high lord and the, the oof, like this interaction gave so much information about the son chan Sean chan that we as readers knew but the audience wouldn't know and i thought this was so awesome mm-hmm. such a great scene and then when we see pat and fane just stroll in and give him the horn of valir very cool very cool. Loved it because this is what, I mean, happened in the book. And Pad and Fane became ingratiated with the High Lord, Turok. So um, I'm interested to see, I wish he had said just one comment about, like, you know, I won't blow this because that's only for the Empress. But mm, yes, I because I think that would have been just sort of a nice little cherry on top there just to sort of make that connection again but we got little bits and pieces of that overall what were your thoughts on that scene so overall i thought that this scene was really good i enjoyed like you could tell that turok had the affinity for the older objects there and that's perfectly Mm. in line with his book character 
one of the mm-hmm. things that I thought was very funny was seeing the physical manifestation of the Sean Chan manipulating things while they have those long fingernails. Because those long fingernails that Surov and Turok have, that is something that is used to mark Sean Chan nobility. But it's like, mm-hmm. what's the practical purpose of these things? Because like you you see Turok struggling to open the box. He has to hold his two fingers up with his long fingernails going other ways and use his three other fingers to manipulate and open the box up since he can't do it. It just was yeah. a little thing that made me like, giggle seeing him operating with his long fingernails. And then just to watch Suroth have her nails and her status as a high lady in the Shanshan society just straight up murdered there. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And like oh, yeah. the symbology of what that actually meant was huge because that just shows how much she messed up in the eyes of Turok, in the eyes of the Empress, and it was a big blow to her and her status. Yeah. And... Uh... Yeah, I did think it was kind of interesting that she looked over at Ashamiel before answering Turok because, I, I mean, I was expecting Turok to sort of say something or do something to Ashamiel there me since too. it's like, why do you need his permission to talk to me? Yeah. I'm your high lord. Right, it's like, like, who is he? Why are you looking to him? You look at me. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we did get kind of get later on that he's sort of playing this pat and fane role mm-hmm. uh that pat and fane had in the book where pat and fane was there and he knew them and all this so they're you know it's interesting how they're melding that together and it does make honestly it does make sense that ashamayel would be there because he does face does face rain in the sky eventually but yes and i love that we got that later yes. on in the episode mm-hmm. he was talking about that and like yes this is great i don't mind that they're taking a slightly different route to get there, but they're getting there. One of the things that is kind of interesting, and I want to bring this up while we're talking about Pod and Fane, because we're not going to talk about mm-hmm. him again uh, for a bit yeah. here, is his is role weird. seems to be so much more diminished in the show, and he seems to be more of just like your run-of-the-mill dark friend, as opposed to yeah. what he was in the books, at least for now. We'll see yes. if that changes. and that's the thing. But, yeah. I think that's going to shift, because I think once... If they follow the books at least to the point where Ashamael sort of disappears yes, for a while, I that's, think Pat and mm-hmm. Fane's going to take that void. Agreed. Agreed. That's, that's sort of my thought process there because we haven't even got to the fact that Pat and Fane nailed up the merge all yet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested to see if they're like, you know, he sort of starts shifting his perspective or he becomes more prominent in a lot of ways. Yeah. I do agree with you that it's going to take the downfall of Ishamayel for him to step out and be in more of a prominent role, but I think it might be coming. Yeah. I do too. It'll be really interesting to see. Um, I also wonder, though, because they've sort of set it up in this episode where Maureen tells Rand later on after they're running away from Lanfear's corpse, uh, which resurrects itself, obviously, that... He, Ishamayo woke her up and he's going to wake up the other Forsaken. And if he does that, then like there's no chance of winning the last battle when it comes. So I want to bring that up. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to bring up my biggest qualm with this episode. Even though I did really like this episode by and large, 
I didn't mm. like that Moraine's like told Rand, it's your fault. You oh, you let Shamael out. You set him free by destroying the the oh seal there. Well, she can't lie, but she could have said that a different way. I know, and I just think like the fact that as book readers, we know that Shamael has been out in this world. Shamael has been active for centuries like the that she's laying this blame on rand or at least that the showrunners are letting her put this blame on rand it's just it just doesn't it doesn't go and sit right with me to me like it just it minimizes the power that ishamayel and the forsaken have that they needed someone else to set them free now, I don't disagree with you on that aspect, and that's an interesting perspective. I didn't really think about it that way. I took it as she's working with the limited knowledge she has. Mm-hmm. And also, too, as we know, Moraine likes to have control over people. Yeah. And by saying this, she's sort of getting Rand to be like, oh, shit, like, I did something wrong. I'm going to need help. Mm-hmm. Maureen, you're going to help me because you know all this White stuff. White Tower, oh, I guess guide I'll help me. You. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so I think, too, there's that manipulation aspect, which is good because, again, this is going to feed into their sort of back and forth relationship. Yes. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, it's really interesting because they did speed up things in this episode. They're explaining a lot of lore, like you said, including Teleron Riyadh. Yes. And I love that we got the name. And Compulsion. Yeah, Compulsion, too. Oh, yes. Like so much good, like so many things. Oh, it's just so great. Yes. All right, we gotta we gotta, we gotta focus moving, ourselves. Yes. Hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> All right, so let's let's just keep going with the. Um, I mean, it interweaves in this episode so nicely. Yes. I think we can talk about Perrin and sort of get that aspect out of the way because okay. that sort of is on the side. So let's go that way. So in this episode, we get Perrin talking with Elias. And Elias is like, oh, yeah, your eyes are going to turn golden. You're going to be one of us, yada, yada. And Perrin realizes that, oh, you're not leading me to find Loyal and my friends or the Shinarans. You're leading me in the opposite direction. He's like, yeah, you don't want to die, do you? <laughs> you're, they're not your pack. We're your pack. Yeah. And he kind of threatens Elias, yells at him, and then all the wolves kind of show up like, yeah, you want to market our boy? <laughs> we'll bite you back. Um, and so Perrin sort of leaves. Hopper joins him, which I love. Me too. Oh, that was so nice. And um, Perrin then goes back to the little fishing village to presumably release Uno from being in a... To bury Uno's corpse. Because yeah. right now... And he doesn't... It's in a, successful with that. Yeah, it's in a cage hanging around. He's like, I can't leave him like that. I got to go back and bury him. Yeah. And spoiler, he does. Yeah. <laughs> the white cloaks are there now. They've expelled the Shanchan or the strangers loved this thought this was a great little way to tie them in mm-hmm. interested to see if we get bornhold's father i know i was thinking the this. same thing i was like oh we're tying in dane bornhold already okay yeah and, and which makes more sense you're gonna make him more of an antagonist with perrin as we move forward mm-hmm. and this is already sowing the seeds of that right so I, I'm gonna. I'm interested because this kind of takes the storyline from the first book with the White Cloaks yes. in Perrin, and it ties it into what happens here in the in the like the second book mm-hmm. as well. So I think that was a nice way to sort of wrap that together. But he ends up uh, instead of Gaul, yeah, <laughs> he ends up freeing Avienda, 
we meet. And Dylan, I can't tell you how much I liked her. I thought she was such a badass. The fight scene was great. Fight scene was great. Yes. Yes. Her, like in her humor and stuff afterwards, I really enjoyed. I thought that was I thought that was good. I thought it gave it was showing her personality, kind of showing that I I yield humor a little bit. The initial my initial reaction to her was a little like, eh. but as I said, afterwards after they fought the white cloaks, they got out of there. I thought her at the campfire with Baron, I really like that. And I like that they're going to be kind of friends because that is going to help her character grow too. So what I did love about Avienda is I loved her introducing some of the Aiel concepts, such as like Toe. Mm-hmm. And I loved her, the Aiel sense of humor of dancing the spears and like playing Maiden's Kiss. And I think she mentioned that at least. I'm not positive, but... Don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyways, but I liked her sense of humor, kind of. What I didn't really like about it was her making overtly sexual jokes to Perrin, because Avienda would never have done that in a million quadrillion years. And I, I think, like, just her saying, hey, Perrin, you want to bang? That was a little stupid. And because Avienda would never have said that, ever, ever. I'm a little sad we're not getting Gaul. But I we'll get him. I don't we'll think get we him. will. I'm pretty sure we will. Yeah. I think the reason they are swapping Gaul for Avienda is so we get more Avienda. Maybe. That would make sense because she is much more important to the story. No offense to Gaul, but Avienda is no. an amazing character. And I like her a lot. So I'm happy to be getting more of her. I do think. And yeah, go ahead. I think I th- just want to say this. I think maybe. They'll bring Avienda and Nynaeve and them together sooner. So that's also building that relationship as they go forward. So what I was going to say is, like, I do think that what's going to be going on with Avienda and Perrin, as far as, like, her being friends with Perrin and everything, might have an impact on her story later in the series. But mm. I'm I'm really curious, like, if we're going to still get Perrin... Um, or not parent, uh, if we're still going to get Avienda doing some of the training she does later on and that struggle she faces of who she is once uh, the book and the series progress. But I don't know. I think that Avienda was great. I just didn't really care for her sense of humor around the campfire with parent. I mean, remember, too, this is like for adults. <laughs> So I, know. I mean, we had Rand sleeping with Egwene already. We had yeah, Rand sleeping with Lanfear. We're having because some of yes. that stuff, mm. some of that stuff just didn't make sense. You know, she the other maidens were all pretty open about it, so it didn't really make sense for her not to be. I think it just was like I, your I relationship as it's a fine. maiden with your weapon, basically, versus yeah. a wise woman who settles down and all that stuff. That's like Avienda thought of well, herself as a woman. There's no settling down for her. No, no. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the end of that story. They're heading to Falma. Yes. Everyone, all roads lead to Falma. That's what we said last time. So, so. I am happy to see that because I do mm-hmm. think that that does symbolize that we're going to end at a similar place at the end of this season as we ended at with the end of book two. Yeah. And I'm just scared because I'm pretty sure that 
if Hopper doesn't die this season, he's definitely dying next season. But yeah, you know it. it's coming. I know it's coming. And I know it's probably going to be at the hands of the White Cloaks. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. So sad about that. Anyway, let's get into now the White Tower storyline. Mm-hmm. Because this all kind of goes together. Well, well, we should actually do Moraine and Rand and then do the White sure. Tower. Sure, yeah, let's do that. Because the White Tower is the biggest piece. So Moraine and Rand running away from Lanfear. We already talked about them having that conversation about the escaped uh, Forsaken. And so, you know, we in this episode, we get to see them heading back to Camelin. Not Camelin, sorry. Kyrian. We get them heading back to Kyrian, duping Lanfear. Lanfear believing that they were going to Tarvalin, chasing after them. We see her murder people pretty much just on a whim. We get to see Lanfear unchained and just yeah. blowing people's heads up, making people's mouths disappear, being a yeah. vengeful witch, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and so that that kind of runs into that's sort of showing Moraine's point about her being cruel. Mm-hmm. Also, too, as Moraine says, she didn't turn over to the dark until Louis Theron met his wife and broke up with her and uh, broke her heart yeah. effectively. And so she joined the dark to get him back. So it shows that she's obsessed with him, and you get that through this episode. Uh, you also get to see that. She is a master of Teleron Riyadh, mm-hmm. which is the world of dreams. And we get this twofold. One, when um, Moraine tells Rand about it, we pop into Ashamiel's dreams and it looks like he's about to make out with Rand. <laughs> but it's actually... Uh, which that was a Lanfear. jarring scene, to be honest. I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> I, I knew immediately that it was dreams. Yeah, of course. And I was like, hey, if they want to make him bisexual, who cares, right? Who cares? I was like, doesn't doesn't really phase me. But I was like, I know this is Landfear. And he probably knows it's Landfear too and doesn't care. When you live for that long, I'm sure it's just like, get it where you can. <laughs> anyway, uh, their interaction's interesting. He's asking her what she thinks about him, talks about how she's the master of dreams. She's just like, I'm just waiting around until he shows up, which I like. Like, I'm just hanging out in your dreams just hang out in your dreams. It's really setting up nicely for this concept of the dreaming being this place that people do things in. Mm-hmm. And I hope we do get in the next episode, and I know you've watched it so you know, uh, some consequences. Like if you get hurt there, that can affect you in the real world, etc., etc. You know, that kind of stuff because it's going to start showing the power of it. So... Um, we have this interaction between Ashamael and Lanfear. He says, he basically brings up the point that she's weak around Rand. She has a soft spot for him. Right. And they sort of discuss that. I and do also like that they bring up some of the other Forsaken. Mm-hmm. Like, she brings up Grendel, she brings up the boys. And so it's going to be interesting to me, like, how many of the Forsaken actually make their way into the show here because i don't think we're going to get the full complement of all the forsaken that we do in the books but it's going to be interesting to see how many get cut like i could totally Mm. see asmodian getting cut i could totally see um probably samurag getting cut as well and having her and grendel being merged a little bit 
or Landfear yeah. getting merged with one of them as well. But I don't think we're getting all of the Forsaken that we get within the series, and probably for good reason, just time-wise and repetitiveness as well. Like Robin yeah, versus Samael, yeah. I don't know if that will be the same person or, you know. Who knows? It will be interesting to see who all gets brought in because you're right. They could replace other characters with characters they already have or um, with the Forsaken themselves. Mm -hmm. Or they might just be like throwaway characters, which is fine too because some of them honestly were. Yeah, some of them were throwaway characters. They lasted less than a chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of it for her story except at the very end of the episode we have rand getting pulled into teleron well, well that's actually a point i want to talk about real quick into ten- teleron riad the minute he falls asleep he's attached to this wheel and she's sitting in this chair like i've been waiting for you well so i want to bring up what moraine says before that so moraine's having this conversation with her family, and they're saying how Moraine used to help out her younger sister by telling her, like, walking her through these scenarios, being like, is this true? And, like, walking through, like, her fears and, like, trying to have her calm down by, like, posing worst-case scenario questions and saying, like, is this actually true? Is this actually going to happen? And so Moraine says that Rand needs help protecting himself. And then her sister's like, is this true? Does he actually need this? Then Moraine sits there, thinks to herself for a second. And then she's like, you know what? It's not. He is the dragon reborn. The dragon reborn is powerful AF. So let's see what he can, what he's got. So she goes and she's yeah. like, all right, Rand, go to sleep. Make a deal with the devil or make a deal with Lanfear, basically. See what she wants. You have the power. You, you've got this. And as soon as Rand falls asleep, of course, Lanfear has her, like, hooks in his dream ball right there and pulls him right to her. And so he wakes up strapped onto the wheel there for the end of the episode. But I thought it was interesting because you see Moraine being like, you know what? He does... He does have power. He can take care of himself. Let me not worry about sheltering him as a stilled yeah. or shielded Aes Sedai from this master forsaken and, like, just let him face his own demons. And we'll see how that goes in the next episode. Yeah. I'm going to be interested to see. I also would really like to see if they bring in the old Lewis Theron to kind of give him some yeah I would love to see or input here like almost a what, what what is that like almost like a soliloquy almost of the older Lewis Theron kind of like talking to Rand like within like his own like dreamscape world like having a yeah. conversation with like dr- with Rand's dream self or something like that like playing off each other that would be cool would be cool so I think we've Wrapped up nicely, the Maureen Rand and the Perrin Avienda. Matt did not make an appearance this episode. He did not, no. Nor did Min. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm pretty sure they're going to Falma too. (laughs) Uh, But let's focus on the White Tower, friends. So we have two things kind of going on in this episode. We have Varen showing up to the tower after the girls have been kidnapped by Leandrin and taken through the ways 
we find out that Leandrin is a dark friend. Mm-hmm. That 100% is confirmed. And Varen is snooping around trying to figure out where the girls are. And they basically bring up the fact that when they go to talk to Shiriam, the mistress of novices, which you saw the switches. Mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> That's funny. Um, she knows something's not right. Shiriam just seems to kind of be like almost... I like that they had her sort of acting kind of weird, right? Yeah, yeah. It was great. She was definitely rattled that Varen was asking some questions. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it seems like she was under compulsion. And I wondered about the lying bit because she believed it. So it's like she was told that and told to believe it. So So. I think that it's pretty interesting. We're getting a look at Detective Varen over here. Because you know exactly what she's doing. She's rooting out the Black Aja. She's doing her own detective work right here, trying to catch Leandrin in a lie, trying to catch Shiriam in a lie, and, like, trying to see what is going on, who can she trust. And seeing that Shiriam's handwriting is different at this part and wondering if that's because of compulsion, that is something that we don't get in the books, but it's alluded to that Varen was doing her own like digging to see who was black mm-hmm. Aja or what was going on in the tower here. So the, the fact that I we got it. to see it in action was pretty cool. Not the biggest fan, mm-hmm. to be honest of the alcoholic Brown sisters. And <laughs> I just thought again, like all they, they seem to want to do is make I said, I drink and have sex in the show, which is, Definitely different approach to Aes Sedai, but yeah, yeah. Um, I do like that they were really nerdy though. They were very like, nerdy. that came across, and, that, and I love that. that that's came brown Aja, and that's totally brown Aja. And I also liked how Varen was like focused in, and then she's like, "Oh, what about this book?" And like kind of did like that typical like brown Aja switch to like absent-mindedness, kind of fo- shifting focuses onto her studies and her books and stuff. And it was all a ploy to, like, use that aloofness that the Brown Aja has associated with it as a weapon to get Shiriam away from her book so her other Brown sisters could go in and, and help find it out. And we got to see Chow Chang. Yes, we did get to see Chow Chang. So that's kind of, I mean, Leandrin, we then kind of cut into Leandrin delivering the three girls to the Sean Chan. Yes, to Surah and, and Ashamael. Yeah. Well, Ashamael's not there. Yes. Yeah, you're right. And um, this was kind of cool because during the cave scene, or the ways scene, Leandrin is almost like apologetic to Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. And so it does kind of show there's, you know, their relationship built and everything else, which I liked. I did like that it wasn't just I'm just handing you off. Um... But I do like that when they, she does hand them off. She does. She does. You get her, her and the other and Sue Roth sort of perspective on each other, which was pretty much right from the book. Pretty much straight from the book. Yeah. And I like that she released the shield and bindings on the I love girls. that part, to be honest. That part was great. <laughs> I love it because Leandra's like, I did my part. I told the Shamayal I would deliver the girls unshielded. Your job to keep them. Bye. <laughs> and yeah. that was perfect. Loved it. 
Oh yeah, it's great. And also to, you know, you got a hint at whatever the Sean Chan does to these girls who can channel is terrible. Mm -hmm. And you still don't know even at the end of the episode, but we're going to know. Anyway, the girls get up, they fight, they run away. Egwene gets captured. It was pretty much like it happened in the book for the most part. It did seem a little easy for them to get away, though. I will say that. Yeah. Oh, I'd agree. I wish there was a little bit more of a fight with the power there. Yeah. If we're being honest. But I liked it. Thought it was, yeah, I thought it was good. And then they uh, captured Egwene. We will see her later on. But you do, you come back to... um, Egwene and Nynaeve coming into Elaine and no, Nynaeve. Sorry. Elaine and Nynaeve coming into Falma. They're kind of going around the streets. I thought Elaine was playing it really smart. Nynaeve not so much, which again matched the book and sort of Nynaeve's temperament. Mm-hmm. I thought it was nice. It wasn't as like Nynaeve's in there pulling her braid, screaming and you know, but like Elaine was like, you need to to chill like chill out yeah. and we need to blend in and she's like oh we these are clothes that aren't fancy enough for you like it was kind of that childish sort of back and forth they had at the beginning of their relationship mm-hmm. so i thought that was good i mean a little annoying but good i mean honestly they are a little annoying in the books too so that, oh that yeah fits. no they're uh, naive is very annoying <laughs> in my opinion but um at some parts anyway uh, but overall, good. They got knocked against the wall from, we find out, a warder and a yellow sister. Let's just hope it's not, uh, oh my gosh, what was the what was her name in the, um, they changed her name, Pura, Pura? Oh, yeah, yes. Because that would be so sad. But, yeah, it's going to be, I hope we get a story about that. Like, this is the sister that got away type thing. Yeah. But yeah, all in because all, she's she's going to explain, and as she's explaining, I'm sure they're going to cut to Egwene getting those things done to her. All in all, though, I thought that this episode was very strong. There were oh, a yeah. few things, like I said, I nitpicked about a little bit, but by and large, this episode was fantastic. I loved all the lore we were getting with it. I loved the redirection back towards like the book story. And this episode just made me very excited to watch what comes next. And so I can't wait to do that. I just want to add two little pieces here. At the end of the episode, Egwene is presented to um, Turok as a gift. And I think, which I thought was interesting from Suroth, because we have Ishamael talking with Turok and he's like, just accept her gift. And, so there's some there's some kind of strings attached with Egwene. I'm not sure what it is leading to Turok because it seems kind of weird that he would want to do that. But well, owning Demane was a status symbol as well. So like being given a powerful Demane, especially like Egwene, that is something that is, you know, is a mighty gift because it's mm. not like every day they find Chandlers as powerful as Egwene is. It's true. I just meant that I thought it was interesting. Like, I'm like, what are you up to? Yeah. Well, it's Ishamael meddling in politics. It's what Ishamael does when he's not going crazy. <laughs> Agreed. And Agreed. I couldn't remember if that was part of this episode or next episode when Egwene actually gets collared. It was. This episode at the very end, 
when they present her, they collar her, and you can tell it's very painful. So it, it's hinting at what's to come, but not quite there yet. So what I really liked about the scene with Egwene getting collared is it looks like an actual Ida. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Why couldn't you just ignore the stupid breastplate and pacifier and just go with this thing the whole time? Because it was so much Correct. better. But when they oh, put great. it on Egwene, it, like, became whole and became the entire, like, breastplate slash, like, choker thing. And I thought Even that then, was a that looked weird. okay. But, yeah, it was but okay. They didn't have the pacifier in her mouth right, yet. Right, she didn't get so gagged yet. that's a separate yet. piece. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, you know you can do it. You have the, the knowledge that it's supposed to be this way. It looks good when they did it the way that it originally was. But, again, just my little issue with the item. But it is what it is. Yeah. All right. Overall, I love that episode, too. Yeah. And I'm excited yeah. to hear what's next. Very strong episode. Can't wait to find out more about what's going on in this world's version of Wheel of Time. All right, that's going to do it for us two nerds. We're signing off. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Bye.